Kings Insider Podcast on CSNCalifornia.com. Introducing your host, Sacramento Kings Insider, James Ham. Welcome to the CSN Kings Insider Podcast. I am James Ham, your host. Joining me today, Mr. Aaron Bruski, NBC Sports. What's going on, A.B.? Just another day living in the hood. Just another day around the way. Talking Kings today. Whoa! Did you like make that up yourself? No, I I wrote that out as that was like gonna be my bit. No, of course I thought of that on the fly. Come on! Awesome, now. awesome. Yeah, if I would have known, I would run some like beatbox to it or something, you know. So anyway, uh, we're tired. We're we're beat up. Uh, I've got a bit of a cold. Uh, that happens when you're up all night long every night uh, tracking whether or not a head coach is getting fired or not. Uh, so we have a lot to talk about on this week's podcast. It's going to get a little crazy. It's going to get a little hairy. We're going to give you some behind-the-scenes stuff that you may not know, you may know, you may have been following along to the story all along, and you know it all. Uh, but we're going to try to give you a little bit different perspective. Uh, this will not be like the Pete D'Alessandro uh, investigatorial journalism. No, it wasn't. I mean, this is not going to be like the Pete podcast because uh, this story is a little different. It does have a lot of twists and turns, um, but it really all started on Friday night when the Sacramento Kings laid a huge egg to the Brooklyn Nets. They gave up 128 points, absolutely unacceptable defensive effort, uh, lackluster effort overall. It snowballed into Sunday's game and into Monday's game, and and you know at that point the Kings had lost eight in a row. I mean, uh, eight out of nine, four in a row. Uh, and things really had completely spun out of control. But Aaron, let's start on that Friday night. That Friday night, uh, I, you know, honestly, it starts with Bobby Jackson on the telecast, and it kind of grows from there. And uh, my my guy, my my guy Bobby, uh, he let it all hang out there. And it was a bold move to speak his mind and say that he believed that George Carl should be let go. Um, I think Bobby even said the, uh, what did he say? I think I could leave the booth and, and coach better than him. Um, but starting from that moment on, we, we saw this thing unfold in a ridiculously wild way. Wojnarowski coming out with a a shot across the bow saying that the Kings are discussing uh, letting George Carl go. Uh, Saturday morning we wake up and we hear very similar things. Um, both inside and on the outside, Mark Stein comes out with a piece saying that it sounds like it's inevitable that uh, that Vladi Divac will actually let go of George Carl. Let's step back to that first night and a half, two nights of, of crazy coverage. Aaron, what are your thoughts on how that played out? It was all accurate. The um, The writing was on the wall for George. Everybody knew it. Um, there was a last-second reprieve. And um, that's what we're going to talk about here today. It's um, it's one of the best turnarounds I've seen in a really long time, actually, because 
with the way things have gone for George and, you know, to, to about Bobby Jackson, he's saying what everybody outside of Sacramento is saying. I listened to Bob's, uh, Bill Simmons and uh, Haralabos Her- Vulgaris. I'm getting that wrong, I'm sure. Talk about the way George Carl's coaching and none of it's pretty. It's it's pretty ugly out there. So so Bobby's just speaking up and, and saying his mind things are bad. And the the reality of the situation was that George was on his way out. You know, I think I tweeted it was not if but when uh, one tweet was that they're working towards doing it before Wednesday's game in Philadelphia. You listen to Sam Amick, who Kings fans know and trust on um, Zach Lowe's podcast, and he said more or less the same thing and that there might be like this little hint of a possibility that he could pull it out and save himself. And right in the middle of the podcast, the news broke. And this is a stunning turnaround. And talking about why this turnaround happened, I think is really important for the Kings franchise Uh, The fans, if you're projecting the rest of their season and and really even how they enter next year in the arena. I think all of that is accurate. I I, I think that um, we are slightly confused as to whether or not uh, it was ever a write it up and, and, you know, prepare to hand George his final paycheck type deal. Uh, What we do know is that Vladi Divac was on the road with the team. He was right there watching this entire thing unfold in a very, very unpleasant way. Everyone related to the franchise was absolutely blown away by what happened in that Friday night game. And, you know, just to, I just want to finish up the, the Bobby Jackson thing really quickly because we, we're not going to perpetuate the story. But uh, what really, George's agent went, I think it was to the OC register and actually called for Bobby to be fired. And for me, um, I, I don't get that. But at the same time, um, you know, those are touchy situations. And uh, Warren Legary has come out pretty strong in this situation, trying to defend George. And he's made some really loud statements about George and about the, the Kings franchise and how, you know, he they need to back off and let him coach his way in order for him to be successful. And I really, you know, he's defending his guy and I get it. But look, anyone who watched the game against Brooklyn saw what they saw. There's no question about where the franchise was at that moment. Any other coach in any other city who hadn't, who isn't the Sacramento Kings who have fired too many coaches in the last 12 months, any other coach was likely fired that night. And that's the long and the short of it. If Greg Popovich did that, he doesn't get fired, you know, but most of the other the other coaches in the league, if they had that landslide where clearly, I mean, even 10 days before you were in the playoff picture, but by that Friday night, you lost to the second worst team in the NBA in embarrassing fashion. And then you did it again on Sunday night in the same exact way. And so it, to say that George Carl, you know, like doesn't deserve to be let go or does deserve to be let go. I think the play on the court speaks for itself. And so I'll, I'll kind of leave that at that. Like if George is is with the team the rest of the year, he's with the team the rest of the year. If he's not, there's no question as to why he's not. And I, I think I, I we think, can all agree on that. I think the ironic thing to use in the Atlantis Morissette way is that he has been given carte blanche to coach this team the way that he wants it. He's been given so much carte blanche 
that he's doing precisely the wrong things with both sides of the ball at any given time or rotations that there's not really a lot of decisions that he's made on the court that have worked out. And that's why you hear guys like Simmons and, and Vulgaris go in on him tactically and anybody outside of Sacramento that's, you know, just kind of looking at this from 30,000 feet above the ground and they're going, well, why is he doing that? This, this is, this stuff's it's basketball one Oh one. But here, and, here's our problem, Aaron. I think a lot of the fan voice and the, a lot of the national voice, they're not watching the games. They're, they're looking at a box score and saying, how are the Kings giving up 128 points every night? How, why are they giving up 118 over the last 10? Why is that happening? And their instant reaction is to point at the players and say they're not trying or they're idiots or here we go, Sacramento all over again. And so I think the prevailing voice is that. And the people who are watching the basketball and the Kings players who are living the basketball and the Kings front office who are watching and begging and pleading for something different from their head coach, they are all thinking what you're thinking. But the mass majority of people aren't going and doing the work to watch a Kings game and say, huh, or maybe they don't even understand it. They don't understand what is going on in the system. And they're like, why are they doing what they're doing? And that's, I, I think that might be some of the issue that we have here. It's that there's an uneducated populace on this particular subject. And they really have to look at it closely in order to say, okay, wait a sec, that makes no sense. You know, when well, I, And that's why I listen to yeah. a, a guy like Haralabos because he's a professional gambler with a track record of success. He's spoken at the Sloan. Uh, conferences, he he does this for a living. Like he puts his money where his mouth is. I always find that people that are willing to put money where their mouth is, you know, generally speaking, are more prepared in that discussion unless they're just crazy and burning money everywhere. Um, so yeah, I mean, you the educated basketball watcher is saying everything we've said on this podcast a million times, and what's being thrown about in the media, which is really frankly despicable, is. The, the connotations that it's these players that are – they have no pride and they – that they're bad guys. You know, and even some of it runs deeper than that. And we've talked about DeMarcus Cousins' issues. And frankly, with the amount of times that George Carl has put out a bad scheme and then turned around and said it was the player's fault, that's what we call not taking responsibility for yourself. And most coaches, some coaches don't even do that really all that often. They reserve the the press, you know, lashing for, for when things are really bad. George Carl has come out during almost every single loss and said that it was effort, energy, defense. Attitude. And that's the line. Yes. Attitude. And all these things that paint DeMarcus Cousins as a bad guy. Now, DeMarcus, almost with the exception of chewing out George and then coming out and saying after being uh, criticizing the media probably 30 after 30 some odd games saying, you know what? It's getting old hearing that it's effort, energy and attitude. It's not just all that speaking on behalf of the entire locker. And I thought even when he, he made those statements that he conducted himself pretty damn well, you know, that's touchy. That's touchy territory when you're going to say something like that, which is definitely insinuating that it's the schemes and the coach He's done that once 
and then he chewed George out once. And yes, he's had some bad moments on the court, but but as one newspaper wrote, he was in the best shape of his his career coming into the season, and you know he's not in the worst shape of his career right now. He's really injured. And like a lot of guys on this team, they're confused, they're frustrated, they're tired of losing for no good reason. These are things that kind of make up this discussion that the average uh, person outside of Sacramento is probably not going to get. But it all points to one thing, you know, the the decision to to fire George Carl was blocked by minority owners and it was blocked due to money. We're we're gonna this get to is, that. We're gonna get to that. But hang on a sec. You said right, something. I'll, I'll just I'll just I'm gonna just finish it. Right. This is getting worse before it gets better. Uh, yeah. Okay. So so the people again, you're gonna read things all over the place. But I'm just gonna make this statement. When when the Kings decided not to let George go, you knew it was coming. You knew what was coming next. Because if it's not George's fault and George isn't gonna get fired, which that's not what the Kings were saying. The Kings were saying you're going to make massive changes or you're going to be out still. He's still on the chopping block. He's not off the chopping block. The fact that he, whether he will coach next year or whether he will make it through the next 10 games has not been decided. I mean, seriously, it has not. But the one thing that really, really sticks out to me is that when you start painting DeMarcus Cousins as the problem and you start saying he's out of shape and he needs to have his butt kicked I hate to point this out, but if that's going to be the way it goes, then I would like DeMarcus Cousins' win record to have eight wins for the month of January and for George Carl to have the the losses because DeMarcus Cousins wasn't out of shape when he was the best player in the NBA in the month of January. That's just, it's, it's impossible to be out of shape and average 30 points and 13, 32 points and 13 rebounds a night at the NBA level and be quote unquote out of shape. It's a tired, pathetic narrative that has been perpetrated again and again and again. It's just not factual. And it's a, again, it's just tired. If you want to write a hit piece, write a hit piece, but get some new material because that, in my mind, is egregious and foolish that you would call the player who carried this team through the entire month of January until he got hurt and they finished the month with four losses because he got hurt. If you're going to blame him for everything, that's to me, that's just a joke. You can't blame every, if you take those four games where he's injured and he, he either played or he played injured uh, or he didn't play. And then they, they win without him against Milwaukee. And then you have the four game losing streak. If you just take the four game losing streak, that is when they start dropping 120 points a night when they start giving up 120 to 128 points a night it wasn't the week before that's just not the way it went so it's it's revisionist history it's it's changing the narrative to your to fit your personality and your personal goal of something and that's just to me that's that's absolutely pathetic so now we can move forward (laughs) Um, well i want to add one real quick thing fans out there you got to just consider the sources of, of, of what you're reading and what you're listening to. If, if, other, if they have said getting rid of Mike Malone, Michael Malone is a good thing. Getting rid of Isaiah Thomas is a good thing. Uh, keeping George Carl is a good thing. 
what else? I, I, I don't know if I'm missing one. They're probably not good at analyzing basketball. They probably don't know what they're talking about. So that's, that's just, I just consider the record, consider the source. Yeah. And you know what? Again, I'm not going to sit here and say that I'm calling for George Carl to be fired. That's not my job to do. And we've never done that. I, I remember saying specifically, I think it was last week or the week before. Again, I'm, I'm not calling for George to be fired. So I, I personally think he should stay and just change. I, that is, you know what? It, if it's the simplest a, thing you yes. could do with this. It is, Aaron. And, and you could, I mean, especially uh, to throw a ball into a 280-pound big man standing on a block and have that guy turn and score is like the easiest thing you could do. I mean, and that would solve so many problems for these guys, but there's an ego the size of California that's not going to let that happen. So, so I, 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 I turn it over to you. I'm yeah, I know. I, I agree. I mean, realistically, if you played a standardized defense, I mean, if you go I, for all of you out there and, you know, again, God bless Sacktown Royalty, go to uh, Sacktown Royalty. They, uh, one of their guys went through and did a defensive breakdown and showed sort of, they, they have a link to a Spurs breakdown by uh, Coach Nick. And they, then they have um, some synergy breakdowns of the Kings defense. Now, I'm not going to say that I agree with every single little red squiggly line and straight line and, and the 3-2 defense the entire time, but it really shows you sort of the way that the players react on every play is the same, that they do the same exact thing. And here is something that, like, I've had this uh, conversation with Doug Christie down at, uh, at CSN, and I, I asked Doug, I'm like, when you watch the film, does do all of the big men do the same exact thing? And he goes, well, yeah. And I said, okay, so if DeMarcus Cousins covers the pick and roll one way and Willie Cauley-Stein covers the same pick and roll the same way and Costa Kufis, who started 80 games in George Carl's 57-win season in Denver a few years back, if he does the same exact thing on defense, on the pick and roll coverage, does that tell you that it's a player not doing something right or a lack of effort or a lack of energy? Or does it tell you that they're following the direction of their coach and running the scheme that's being asked? And he said, okay, maybe you're right. (laughs) Because that's what it comes down to. If Rondo, who, you know, we talked about this early in the season, that he may not have the speed to cover people anymore. Well, man, dude, he just turns sideways and lets him go. I mean, that's, that's what he's borderline. He's borderline unplayable right now. But I don't, I don't think, think you could have that kind of a sieve. And with the offensive struggles, like, and I know everybody's gonna say, "Oh, we score so well." The offense looks terrible. Yes, but every Aaron, single time down the floor. But Aaron, he keeps doing the same thing. So, oh, did yeah, why is, I know? Why isn't know. he being corrected? Or is that the plan? And that is the question at hand. Is it the plan? And if it is the plan then it's not the right plan and it has to change. And that problem- level of freelancing, I don't know, man. That's that he's freelancing like crazy. But even when there. he's not freelancing, when he's in the standard offensive uh, defensive set, he well, lets, yeah. he funnels guys right to the middle. You saw um Philadelphia, I, I tweeted this out. 
the, the other teams are now scouting. They, they know exactly what to do with this because there's so much passing of, of players off back and forth on the weak side that the player that's getting passed off now just cuts right to the hoop. Yep. Because Rondo's back is to the action. He doesn't know where the pass is coming. He's just kind of like hoping to get a, a steal at the top of the perimeter. And then they just go walk in. But it's checkers it is, and chess, Aaron. It is. It is. Checkers, oh, you're, you're absolutely it's, right. It's I, checkers I mean, the defense, and chess. I mean, my question though is with the 50 games, defensive scheme changes to to get these guys to blitz a pick and roll. Which, by the way, you know, I asked George Carl about blitzing pick and rolls, trapping pick and rolls in the playoffs. Uh, the Cavs were doing it with pretty good success against Stephen Curry there for a little bit. Basically, like we just don't want this guy to have the ball, so we're going to blitz it. You know, and I asked George, I said, you know, what, what did you think about the Cavs blitzing Curry on the pick and roll? And he said they didn't. And there was 23 examples on film. I forget the exact number. That might be wrong. But I like to chart finals games. So I don't know if that's in his vocabulary to blitz. But anything different would be a step forward. I'm just I don't think that they can make it's such an instinctual thing. To, to play defense, like to have everybody on a rope to make the change. That's why I'm so adamant about the offensive side of the ball. Cause I feel like defensively, like if you control for the pace, which your big man can't handle, which is a ridiculous pace, which, and you're seeing teams around the league, by the way, get exposed for trying to run these high pace systems and not being able to swing it. You're looking and seeing it in Chicago right now. They're talking about how the personnel doesn't fit the plan you can change the pace and now you don't defend 94 feet worth of, of real estate. This is a team that needs to play slow. It's brutally obvious. I, I don't know that they have to play slow, slow. They just can't play at the fastest pace in the NBA. I mean, really when it comes down to it, there has to why be some best, sort of happy medium. Why does your best player not have the ball on 75% of the possessions? That's what I don't get. Like when you have this free flow offensive system where Rajon Rondo holds it more than anybody else on the court and whether that's a good thing, nobody knows because assists aren't really that important at the end of the day. I mean, you're seeing Rajon Rondo get 15, 20 assists in these 20 point losses. They're not that important, guys. You know, you, like why why would he have the ball more than your all NBA, you know, player your top 10 NBA player that's where I the offensive thing makes so much sense to me because it's like oh here's a switch we can flip and it's not instinctual as much you know where defense you have two guys that are coming off a pick they basically got to know what the other guy is going to do and you're changing that 50 games into the system but at the same time Cousins has the highest usage rate in the NBA he is used more than anyone in the NBA and I get what you're saying the offense should flow through him it doesn't have to be him scoring it and doing it every single time but I mean, still, he's, what, like third, fourth in the league in scoring, and his usage is through the roof. I mean, he, he does get plenty of opportunities, but I don't think they're always the right opportunities. And, and for me, I mean, that is a huge issue It's it, as far as the offensive end. I, I think more post touches, either him or I, I even like, I would like to see more Rudy Gay getting post touches. I think all of those things are a good thing. And I'm not saying scrap every system and everything that you're trying to do, I'm saying is you know, there are some holes here and you have to be able to, to move through this. And I think, I think it's pretty clear now that when George took over this team, um, we saw it right in the beginning that there was 
sort of a, a want and a need to not have DeMarcus Cousins on the team. He, you know, we talked about mm-hmm. it. He got in trouble early for saying uh, that that no one was untradeable. Uh, you know, there's the reports out there that George is actually making phone calls about, you know, sort of testing the waters on what DeMarcus's value would be. So there are those things out there. And realistically, I think what George wanted was to recreate what he had in Denver and see if he could master something that was different that no one had seen before and that was revolutionary. And it, it hasn't quite worked out that way. And uh, and if it's not going to work, if you're... It, and, and here's another point that I'll make. Um, we've talked about this so many times. How many new faces are on the Kings? I mean, basically, you have Macklemore, you have Cousins, you have Gay, you have Caspi, you have Collison that were there last year, right? The rest of the team is is pretty much new. Everyone else was new. And so when you have these situations where people are saying that the team has given up and they quit just like last year, well, you're looking at like, you know, eight to 10 new guys who are quitting with with the other five. It, it's it's not pretty to watch. And, and again, that's where I think the players have a lot, have to shoulder a lot of the blame because quitting is never okay. I mean, if I'm trying to get into the the playoffs, I don't I don't give up four games and just say it's over and we're going to lose those four games. And that's what happened with the Kings this last week. They have no leadership on that level. Rondo gets a big fat F for that. And he's know. been the best guy. He gets no, he's been great. and that's the thing. You know, everybody bags on me cuz I bag on Rondo for Almost like an overcorrection, overcorrection to the market saying what a great year he's having. I don't think he's had a great year. I don't think he's been anything but average um, in terms of positive and negative impact on this team. But behind the scenes, he's he's great. On the floor, though, I don't know if he's saving it for the offensive end because the pace is freaking fast. He's <laughs> an older player. He's had a knee injury, a major knee injury. Like, his back could be hurting. But it's I him mean, who it, showed up for the shoot around and then and then made sure to make an emphasis to to tell people that only three or four guys showed up for shoot around on Monday. And and so we can we can get back on, well, he's, on and he's, he's also a George Carl supporter because face it, George Carl's system is giving him some of the best stats of his career. They're, oh, yeah, they're, yeah, fully. they're inflated, but they're not, you know, it. That there's a reason that Rajon Rondo wants George Carl to stay because from a basketball perspective, if you think that George Carl is going to do anything positive for this basketball team in the next 30 days, like I, I, I just it's not going to happen. Like, and that's for everybody out there, you know, if, if you think that like going into next year's arena and you know having some sort of like momentum or whatever have you, that's not going to happen unless he changes. And, you know, like our good friend Matt Moore says, there's no way in hell he's changing. No, he's not changing. I think that's what we know for sure at this point. So so now let's get to this other this other. Why did this happen? Why is George Carl still the head coach of the Sacramento Kings? And I think it's it's really, really intriguing. And uh, I think it's not just one simple answer, because I think everyone wants to point to one simple answer and say that. It's the minority owner stepped up and said, um, "We don't, we don't have the money to do that." And I'm gonna, I'm gonna clarify what that means first of all. Um, when a group of like 35 millionaires say, "We don't have the money to do that," 
it doesn't actually mean that they don't have the money to do it. It's not like, you know, it's not like me or you saying, you know what, I, I think I just, I don't really have the money just to go out and buy a second house, you know, and, and so I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to go buy that house in Tuscany because I don't have the money to do it. That's that's not actually what it is. What it is is the minority owner saying, look, man, we're still paying for Michael Malone. We're still paying, we're, we're going to have to pony up $10 million. You're going to cash call us for George Carl. And it's not that we don't have the money, it's that we don't want to give you the money anymore. You keep changing your mind and doing these crazy things, and we're tired of giving you money. So we're going to say no this time, and if you want to pay for it, go ahead and pay for it. And uh, and basically, that is, is what we mean by the minority owners. The minority owners said, look, we're not going to pay the $10 million owed George Carl. You're going to have to pay it yourself. Uh, because we're tired of just, you know, someone making unilateral decisions for us because you're the quote unquote chairman and thinking that you have, you know, unlimited rights to do anything. And unfortunately for them, Vivek Ranadive does have unlimited power and he can do whatever he wants. But I'm going to tell you this and you can believe it or not. In this situation, the decision was handed to Vladi Divac's and he was allowed to make the decision yes or no. And he decided not to fire George. And it was probably due to a bunch of reasons, one of which might have been the minority ownership, one of which might have been he talked to the players and said, look, can we at least try this again? One of them could have been that he knew that if they fired him, it would only just mean the complete end of their season because inserting uh, Corliss Williamson in would have been the same exact thing that Pete Alessandro did the year before to Tyrone Corbin. Corliss Williamson would have just got run out of the building. There's no, he doesn't have enough time just so people know he does not have enough time between now and next Friday when they take on the Denver Nuggets to instill, install Michael Malone's defense, which is what he is in his head as a defensive scheme, because he, that's who Corliss Williamson trained under and then implement Michael Malone's defense in time to play Michael Malone next Friday night when they face the Denver Nuggets. There's no way to fix this thing by firing Corliss Williamson and, I mean, by firing George Carl and going to Corliss Williamson and thinking that you're going to turn around and all of a sudden be a playoff team again. It's either George or bust from here on out. And and you're making, you're making my point about the defense for me there is that you know, Cor- Corliss's defensive system is going to be better than George's because I think yours, your defensive system is probably going to be better than George's. And I think, you know, Whoopi Goldberg, if she was brought out of the crowd to coach the team, her defensive system would be better than George Carl's. The guy who so, taught Air Bud. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So, like, this kind of speaks to how difficult it is to make a defensive change at this point and then offensively how easy it would be. And to your point about Vlade, I think it might just be semantics. I don't know. Because part of me has wondered this whole time with Flade, like, I understand you want to let the guy coach. But at what point in time does the basketball kind of 101 start slapping everybody upside the head? You see DeMarcus Cousins flail to the hoop for like the 50th time, you know, basically being a shooting guard instead of being a a dominant center where you go, okay, that doesn't work or the the switching on defense, whatever it is. That's just kind of obvious basketball one-on-one, but why hasn't he jumped in? And he has, Hey, Vlade, he has, Hey George, 
you have to make a change because otherwise we're going to let you go. And then you get and obviously. So to kind of talk about the semantics of was it Vlade's decision or not? Vlade knows what's going on in the background that the minority owners don't want to cut a check. And the question is, has become, well, if you're Vivek, do you say, well, all right, well, I'll just pay it myself. Or is, is the interplay between the owners, are they basically, you know, are the minority owners saying, we're not going to support this even if you do pay it for it yourself? Oh, no, they're not going to support it. They're, but they didn't support the firing of Michael Malone either. And that happened. And, and so really, they're, they're at a situation where they don't get to make the decision. And it's really unfortunate for them because a lot of them put in a lot of money. And I, I feel bad for the minority owners because this group of minority owners, like most NBA people, people who get into professional sport, they get into it because they love the game. And they want to be there on the sidelines cheering on their team. And they want to leave a legacy for their kids. Do you think any of those people at this point are looking around and saying, man, I sure am glad I'm on this ownership group? No, because, I think they're disgusted with it. Well, they're embarrassed, man. How would you like for everyone they're, they're, everyone, to say that you're the worst run organization in professional sports? That's on you. It's, it, you're part of that. And that's, that's unfortunate. I mean, I like what you said earlier in the podcast. My, 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 I really think the best way that the Kings could come out of this is George changes his offense, he changes his defense, and he says to the world, look, I can change. I'm not stubborn old George. That's number one. But if these minority owners or if Avekran Adive or Vladi Divox thinks that this is going to get better, from a basketball perspective, it's not. So that that begs the question of what's going to happen going into next year. And that's where it's very disturbing to see these DeMarcus Cousins hit pieces because that faction is basically really, really putting a ton of pressure on Cousins to be the better guy and say, you know, I'm not going to buy into that stuff. And you saw the comments that he made to SiriusXM radio here. We're, we're recording on Thursday. It sounds like DeMarcus is handling this well. Like he said that he's he trusts Vlade and he's looking forward to the future. So there's not like an imminent explosion. He didn't look good last night after the game when they were asking him about King's stuff. But when you shifted to Jaleel Okafor's stuff, he perked right up. So he's clearly upset. But as you as you demonize and blame this on effort and and not look at the elephant in the room, like how when at what point in time does Demarcus get? You know, I'm really sick of this town. I'm sick of getting blamed for everything that happens here. Yes, laundry list of problems that we all know that DeMarcus has on the court, not necessarily off the court, but just being a good locker room guy and fostering an environment of positivity and growth and good basketball play. He has a long way to go. But when you get all these hit pieces, you get these narratives coming out from every which direction. I mean, it's like everybody's like, trained to say effort energy defense and attitude now um that's got to be frustrating so where do they like at what point in time does that narrative start to say oh well let's just get rid of everybody and we'll we'll do this massive trade for demarcus cousins and we'll get all these draft picks and we'll sell it to everybody as hey we're not in the playoffs we weren't going to make the playoffs anyway and we're we're starting this new young and they'll brand it as a um you know, a very basketball IQ friendly team with great effort 
energy and attitude. <laughs> um, I, I think that all, all things are, are possible. Honestly, um, I don't want to say that because I know Kings fans are going to freak out, but I don't think DeMarcus Cousins get, gets traded by February 18th. Um, I think the Kings are looking for defensive players, but like I, I got into a discussion with Bobby Jackson on the telecast uh, a couple of weeks ago, and he took ex- exception. You don't have to have 12 defensive-minded players. That's not what you need. What you need is 12 guys who are willing to play together and fight for each other and fight for their coach and play defense together. It doesn't have to be 12 guys that are are... You don't need uh, Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, and uh, Dennis Rodman, and you know that that's great. And you win a bunch of championships. Ronnie, uh, what, Randy Brown as your as your um, your other guard, uh, playing great defense. You know that's not what you need. It, it does it did work once upon a time, but I mean, look at the Golden State Warriors. How many of those guys are defensive minded players? I mean, sure, Iguodala is, and Bogut is. And Festus Azili is, but if you're going to tell me that that Steph Curry is a is a defensive guy, I mean, yes, they have defensive players, and and Draymond Green is a great defensive player, but Clay Thompson became a better defender. If you put him on a different team, is he going to be a great defender? I don't think so. Is Harrison Barnes going to be a great defensive player? Is Leandro Barbosa a great defensive player or Sean Livingston? They weren't anywhere else they've ever played in their career so you meant you mentioned playing for the coach and yes grant you know. grant talked about this on his show is these guys don't buy what george carl is selling because nobody else is buying what george carl is saying this isn't just them being jerks about it like nobody outside of sacramento is buying what george carl is selling and grant brought it up on his shows they can't hear him he's he's not doing things that coaches do you know what, though? When we had the major blow-up in the locker room early in the season when uh, Drake walked in and, like, that, that weird, the most awkward night in NBA history in a locker room, <laughs> um, when that happened, just so you know, it was the exact same thing. It was DeMarcus Cousins saying, stop telling us that it's effort and energy. Stop saying that. It's not that. It's the plays we're running that are killing us. And and people will say, okay, well then, how come they were they made it to twenty one and twenty three, and how come they they got going and they, you know they were they're right there they were in the playoffs. My answer to you is because Demarcus Cousins was a god. That's why <laughs> he was the best player in the game for an entire month, and they could not lose with him doing what he was doing. And that's another thing people like to say. Oh, this team's not that good. They're playing with some of the worst offensive and defensive schemes I've seen in 10 years of doing this based on the personnel and based on the implementation of, the, of those schemes. They could be even better. Like oh, they, they are could playing. be better. Heck yeah. I, I mean, I, mean, I think I, that's the and, end of the day what the whole issue is, is that they could be better if they were doing something more conventional. I mean, and more conventional by what I mean by that is 29 teams do one thing and one team does something different. It's like that old Sesame Street, you know, Three of these kids are doing their own. One of these kids is doing his own thing. Three of these kids are kind of the same. Oh, they, nice. What they do is they have varying degrees of success with it based on their basketball IQ, based on their effort, based on their energy, based on uh, well, their their personnel. And- 
but they all run the same exact thing. Everyone else. And it's back to your playing for the coach thing, though, that that's where these guys get in trouble is because they don't play for their coach right now. And And that's their fault. I mean, that's their fault. But at the end of the day, it's so easy to see why they're doing that, because being called out in the media 30 some odd times and then even more frustratingly is probably just the losing because you're like, man, we've been beat on this 50 times already. Can we just not do that anymore? Yeah, there are excuses and, and there are reasons. I right. Mean, and and right now, I, I think what we're seeing is there is a reason why they stopped playing. And I think we all know what that reason was. Well, that reason didn't happen. You stopped playing, it didn't work. Now, go back to the drawing board and come up with another way to to move forward. Because and one la- Sorry, happen. one last thing. George's agent has got to stop doing this in the media. Like as the thing was blowing up and you see quotes released from George's agent, like the more that they try to attack players or organizations in the media, the more they try to commandeer certain media outlets, it's not going to do anything remotely good. So like for that aspect of it to work for that part of the, the hurricane to settle down, they've got to just stop doing everything that they've been doing. And then the players are going to have to almost like heal a little bit, get their act together over the all-star break, come back rejuvenated. Maybe hopefully for Kings fans, there's some new wrinkles, new rotation decisions, maybe a defensive player in a trade, but wholesale changes will have to be made. Otherwise it's going to get worse every single game. Well, yeah, and, and I'll point this out too. Like when an agent does that, when when they go out and literally say that, you know, the things that they've said about the Kings franchise when uh, George's agent has said negative things about the Kings franchise, he's sending a message because Warren Legary has like half of the or more of the head coaches in the NBA. There's only like two coaching agents, maybe three in the entire league. And so when he's saying this stuff, he's saying like, look, you do understand what I'm saying, right? What I'm saying is that none of my clients clients are coming here. And and at the reverse, the Kings are looking at him and saying, no, we hear you, but we just want you to remember that the client you're sticking up for isn't going to pop up somewhere else. Like he'll go back to ESPN, but this is it for George Carl. There's no, there's no second bite at the apple here that this is, he was already out of the league for a year and a half. And if he leaves the Sacramento Kings, fully expect that to be the last time you ever see George Carl on the sideline. And that is the one thing that I will say, when you really look at this situation and you say, is it minority owners? Is it Vivek folding? Is it Vladi Divac holding, uh, you know, like doing his due diligence to keep this thing together? Or is it Vlade looking at him and saying, I'm going to tell you as a man that I don't want you to go out this way. And I know you don't want to go out this way, but you got to change or this is exactly what's going to happen. And so I'm hoping that, that the message was clear because this entire season, it, the players have stayed together. Even DeMarcus Cousins said in the locker room the other night, uh, Darren Collison said in the locker room, we're still together. We're not fighting. We're not uh, crazy um, Phoenix Suns, Markeith Morris or Marcus Morris. It's Markeith, right? Uh, 
who, who's grabbing his teammate by the throat on the sidelines. Like, that's not us. We're staying together. And Vlade is is staying with the players. And they've been asking and asking and asking for change. And now it's not asking, it's demanding and telling and saying, if you don't change, then basically your NBA career is over. And I think everyone involved should look at it and say, well, that's kind of sad. Because George Carl is a great coach. He is a, a legend of the game. The problem is he hasn't kind of followed. He, he, he's got an idea that he thinks will work. And he's got a hypothesis that he wanted to test. And I got to be honest, it, it failed. The test failed. And there's a, it, there, there's it's a high level guy. Better. Yeah. There's a high level guy inside the walls it's talking with today. He said, it's really hard when there's so many voices in the room. You know, you got all these minority owners. You got Vivek, you've got Vlade, you've got George. You know, everybody's got their ideas. And to me, this thing reeks of so many people and nobody is in charge. Like, uh, nobody. I don't, I don't agree. Nobody. Well, no, <laughs> I mean, no. Well, people are in charge. I think, but I think like, Vlade is in charge. I think he well, is. Well, this is, this. I'll wrap my part up with this is, this is what Vlade's greatest strength is. I'm very pro Vlade, by the way. Like, I don't think Vlade's done a bad job. Writers crush him around the country, make fun of him, you know, make fun of his accent, make fun of his not being from America, you know, a lot of that <laughs> stuff going on. They make fun but, of him because he got the Philadelphia 76ers to pay $33 million for a first-round pick and the right to swap uh, first-round picks for two years. I'll I, never just, understand just why people are so adamant that that was a dumb deal i i mean it's just like there's got to be at least some halfway ground there anyway I, i'm very pro, pro vlade and his greatest strength is bringing people together and having that kind of a conversation that you just discussed yes it's george we don't want you to go out this way and what i mean by there's so many different people and nobody's in charge is that i don't think vivek is outside of the, the weird little nuances of bringing Frazier to the game and showing up in the locker room and, and not knowing the tone of the team. You know, I, I think that a lot gets made of his mistakes that is overdoing it. And in this case, I think he's pretty, him and Vladi are pretty dead on about saying, hey, George, you got to go. You know, and in the case of the minority owners, I see where they're coming from. They don't want to just give Vivek a blank check. Maybe a lot of them are supportive of George Carl coming in Maybe they just don't want to see another Ty Corbin situation. There's so many different things that are kind of swirling around in this pot. But right now, the end result was that you took a coach that's definitely not connecting and he's definitely not doing the things the right way. And you gave him more life and you kind of dragged this thing out. It's almost not even fair to George at that point. But what's done is done. The thing that has to be done is they have to say, George, you got to change. And that's the thing that will work. And then you've got to, if he doesn't change, you got to cut him and you got to move on. Even if, if you don't think Corliss can be the guy, but there's so many voices, there's so much out there. There's so much media pushing different, different angles. There's so much this and that it's going to, it's going to come back to Vlade. Can he be the great unifier? And if he, if he does say, say he does pull this off and they go on a nice little tear here after the all-star break, man, build that guy a statue. Because he's just doing a good job. Hey, I think he has done a good job. I, like, that was, you know, I, I was in the middle of writing something yesterday. And it's like, once George is safe, 
then where's the blame going to go? And the first blame it's going to go is is to Vivek because everyone thinks he's, for lack of a better term, street rat crazy. Um, and I, I don't think that's fair. I think he's eccentric and maybe he is a little bit strange and he does make some erratic decisions that have hurt this franchise, uh, specifically the George, uh, the uh, the Michael Malone situation. He was part of that decision and he didn't stop that decision. What, Regardless of how big his part is, he still is the one who who has the final say in these things. Um, but the next guy that's going to get blamed is always going to be DeMarcus. And you have to protect him. And if you're Vlade, you have to stand tall and and take the brunt of this. And that's the other guy who's going to get blamed is Vlade. And realistically, I don't think this team is that bad. It, he put together a quality roster. And teams are calling. You know, last year when, when the Kings were horrible and things were falling apart, teams may have been calling but they're like okay is cousins collison or rudy gay available after that hang up the phone this year it's is bellinelli is kufus is macklemore gay uh collison cousins are those guys available you actually have enough guys that that people want where last year i think they were pretty void of talent for you know, all intents purposes. I, I think they had quite a few issues, a few holes. This year, I think they could actually make a move if they wanted to, but I also, I don't think they have to make a move and I don't think they should do anything knee-jerk because you kind of have to resign yourself to this. You're four and a half games out and uh, and there's now a team in between you and the seven and the eight spot in the Houston Rockets that could turn things around at any time or could continue to crumble. I think you could always like pie in the sky and say, well, Memphis could always fall with Mark Gasol out. And you could say that, you know, Portland is one injury away from one of their guards from com- being completely, you know, out of it. And, and Utah has had injury issues all year and could hit again. Um, but I think being reasonable, uh, making up making up four and a half games in 29 games is really, really difficult, especially with the Kings schedule. And so I don't think any should, anything should be done for this year. Everything should be done with the understanding that this summer is going to be a big summer and you have to make really, really tough decisions this summer, be it with your coach or your star player or your coach um, or the draft pick you don't have or your coach. And then you have to move forward that way. Absolutely. I mean, you even if they were two games out they, or even in, in the eight or seven slot, they should be thinking all long term with all of their moves. Um yeah, that's they're kind gonna of the scary like thing. Five, yeah, scary they're going to have to go like 5-0, and o, you know, or have a really nice stretch to make people feel comfortable about their chances of making the playoffs. And yeah, you're right. Portland's playing over their head. They're, they have not faced any adversity this season. Teams always face adversity. You can almost bet on that sort of thing happening. Um, Memphis, yeah, here's, obviously. Here's the reality, Aaron. You got Houston's Denver, imploding. You've got Denver. You've got Denver. Then you have San Antonio, Clippers, Thunder, Grizzlies, Mavericks, Spurs. So Spurs twice, Clippers, Grizzlies, Thunder, Mavericks. You come back to play the Pelicans, and then you have the Cavs. And that stretch, if I'm going to like say you have one game that you could win, I'm not even going to circle one that you can win because they've already lost to the Pelicans twice, and they lost to him without Anthony Davis. 
Besides the Pelicans that, are beat up. Every, like, they were I know beat up <laughs> we say that with everybody, them. but I know. I know. So you've I got know. Denver twice, and I don't know what's going to happen there. That's going to be emotional. It's going to be George, uh, Michael Malone coming back to Sacramento, and then the Kings traveling to Denver, uh, where George Carl will actually get to go back to Denver, where he coached forever. But then that run of Spurs, Clippers, Thunder, Grizzlies, Mavericks, Spurs, Pelicans, Cavs is brutal and. I don't even know. Can you think of anything more awkward than the Denver home and home series that's coming up? <laughs> I can't think of anything more hilarious or awkward than it's that. It's awkward. It's awkward. All right. So, Aaron, I think that's going to do it. I think we beat this dead horse like crazy. And, uh, you know, I, I think we've covered it. Um, I hope we didn't step out on any ledges that uh, that make you think that we're street rat crazy or wearing tinfoil hats because that's not at all the case. Uh I, Aaron and I were both up late, 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 many, many times over the last week running this story and figuring it out. Uh, again, I think I rewrote the the George Carl, what's going to happen next, uh, like five or six times and, and submitted it like, just wait, just wait to hit send um, and then had things change and go different directions. Uh, but this is a situation the Sacramento Kings in. Are, are in they they have to uh look at each other and say how do we fight our way out of this can we fight our way out of this together and if we can't um then let's let's just keep our mouth shut and get to the off season and play out these last 29 games and um then at that point we'll we'll kind of figure out who's going where and what and uh you know we'll send parting gifts with everyone and and have a nice parting of ways but yeah it's it's been a wild week of king's coverage uh did didn't expect it to go this way when we did a podcast last week very surprised it it got to the point of brink uh the brink of uh of implosion but uh i guess when you look at the the scores that they were giving up it i mean it it had to happen this way so aaron do you have any final thoughts yeah, uh, final thoughts are all the decision makers, whether it's Vivek or the minority owners or whoever have you, is authorize or empower Vlade Divac to go to George and say, we want changes on both sides of the floor. And if that doesn't happen, then you know what to do. But without that mandate, it's not getting any better, folks. Okay, my final thoughts, think objectively about what you read and what you hear and the way that things are being presented. Uh, Don't look at Twitter and see people saying things that don't make any sense. Don't look at their, their wild assumptions that someone else will be coaching the team on this day or that day. Uh, Don't believe that this thing can change overnight because it can't. Don't believe that George Carl, even George Carl, couldn't reinstitute a new defensive system in time to to get to Denver the game against Denver later in the week. It's that that it's sailed. That ship is sailed. You have to slowly fine tune. They probably have like eight practices the rest of the season. Uh, don't buy into crazy things like optional shoot arounds where people don't show up in the second day of a back to back the day after the Super Bowl. I mean, come on. Are any of you going to go to an optional work meeting the day after the Super Bowl when it's optional? You're not. You're not going. So don't think too much into that. Uh, and you know what? 
support the team because at this point, I, you know, Demarcus Cousins has a big weekend. He is he's in the All Star game. He's going to have a you know another monumental moment for him. He represents the city of Sacramento. To be honest with you, I think he's done a pretty good job of recommend of of representing the city of Sacramento this year. And he's been a very very good player, an exceptional player. And uh, so pull for him this weekend at the All Star game because I, I do believe he deserves that. And then hope for the best when the Kings come back next Friday, next Saturday. Just know that this team was able to win, was able to get to 21 and 23. They were able to get there. Um, and who knows? You never know. Uh, schedule, you know, be damned. They they may be able to make some sort of noise, but I don't think it's going to be the noise that anyone thought. And that's really unfortunate. But that's the fragility of professional sports. So, uh, Aaron, I, I, I rattled on. Do you have any final, final thoughts? Uh, nib high school football rules. Wow. I didn't see that coming. I don't even know what that means. All right. So <laughs> <laughs> that's going to do it for this edition of the CSN Kings Insider Podcast. For Aaron Bruski, I am James Ham. Thanks for joining us on the show. We'll see you next week. 